Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Commercial with a state podcast. And welcome back to the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Wright. And I'm your other host, sometimes host, I should say, Matt Scalina. You're, you're my favorite of the two, just so you know. Oh, thank you. I said that same I'm the only one who shows up. Well, I said the same thing to Adam last episode, so okay. take it for what it's worth. All right. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I was especially happy to be here because we have Raymond Wong on the program today out of Toronto, Vice President of Data Applications and Data Solutions at the Altus Group. And uh, this is a great conversation. Raymond has been in the game for over 30 years and talk about, you know what they say, Corey, the devil's in the details. And, yeah. uh, and this is data rich and Raymond is a very smart guy. So this is a great conversation. Well, not only is the devil in the details, but also the data is in the details, right? So <laughs> details are in the data. <laughs> details are in the data. Um, a lot of people, a lot of our listeners may not know what the Altus Group is or what they do, but they provide extremely detailed frontline information on everything that's happening in, in all asset classes, on transactions, to leases, to sales across Canada. And I mean, from a brokerage industry, a lot of us in the brokerage community, we all subscribe to their programs. And that's why we're so lucky to get them on today. But just very in-depth knowledge of what's going on, where, who, how, and everything in between that well, we- Well, looking from the outside in, you know, on the residential side, and we've talked about this, you know, MLS, it's there's exclusive deals, but for the most part, Almost everything is on MLS on the residential side. We've talked a lot about how on the commercial side, you know, the deals happen. That's why you never want to talk to a residential guy <laughs> if you're trying to if you're trying to do a commercial transaction. It just doesn't make sense because they're not in the know. You have to have somebody really embedded in that community to know what the, where the deals are, what's actually for sale, etc. And Altus Group, as I understand it, provides that kind of that missing. Yep link to providing the data that people use to make decisions in the commercial space? Well, I think one thing in commercial is there's so many different angles on why a transaction happens versus someone buys a condo, they, they it bought for X, sold for Y. In commercial, when a transaction takes place, was it bought by an owner-occupier? Was it bought by a developer? I mean, there's so many assets, so many, so many factors that go into that decision. And that's why some of the numbers can always look so skewed sometimes. So these guys not only track those, but they also go find the information out for you. So when we're trying so to- who bought it? Who bought it? Why they bought it? What are the footnotes? Was there additional density that that's going to be applied for? You know, so it's a much more in-depth than just kind of like, oh, it was bought for 500,000, sold for six. It, it's, why did it sell for 600,000 or 6 million probably is probably more realistic. Why did it sell for 6 million? Who bought it? So it gives us a lot of really inside knowledge, but it, like you said too, it also tracks off-market stuff that not everyone's going to know about. So when we pops up on our screen, we may have, maybe the neighbor bought it and they'll track that. Well, Raymond definitely has his finger on the pulse and he's been watching the commercial real estate market for 30 plus years. Yeah. So a great get for the, for the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, but it's a long conversation. So maybe we should cut to it. But before we do, Corey, of course, the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast is always sponsored by. Always sponsored by Al, our good friends over there at Impact Commercial Group with over 50 years of lending experience. For all your commercial lending needs, visit them at impactcommercial.ca. Well, maybe we'll cut to our discussion with Vice President Data Applications, Data Solutions, Raymond Wong at the uh, Altus Group. Enjoy, guys. Okay, we're here with Raymond Wong, Vice President, Data Operations and Data Solutions at Altus Group. How are you doing, Raymond? Great, thank you. First off, Raymond, thanks so much for, for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, maybe can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, I, I've been in um, commercial real estate research for plus 30 years now. I focused my entire career on looking at uh, market trends and analysis across Canada. And um, I, I really believe that uh, people can use data to sort of 
help them with their investment decisions as well as identify risk and opportunity. So again, it's, it's just I've, I've, I've spent most uh, well, all of my career on the research side. And then Raymond, for our listeners, can you maybe tell us a little bit more who Altis Group is and the type of research and data that you supply and who you supply it to? We, we mainly service the, the commercial sector. So we're a global company focusing on software or real estate software. And we're, we're very well known for the Argus software. And from a data perspective, we look at um, benchmark and indices. So how buildings compare with one another in way of performance, as well as valuation and uh, and market analysis. So it's, it's utilizing the, the software and data to help our, our clients with their real estate objectives and strategies. And Raymond, I'm not in the commercial real estate space. I'm familiar with Altus, but but less so than Corey. I bet some of our listeners out there are thinking, okay, you know, they're used to the residential kind of side and, and MLS. Can you talk a little bit about the differences and, and kind of obviously Altus provides more information, but can you talk about kind of the the space that Altus occupies in relation to MLS? Well, with MLS, you have the various real estate boards and we work in partnership and, and I apologize. We do have we do uh, collect uh, residential new homes data. So we work in conjunction with uh, the various real estate boards on because uh, they more or less focus on resales. And we focus on, um, we go hand in hand because we also look at the availability of product or listings in the marketplace. And um, what we we look at from a residential standpoint, it's very similar to commercial. What's the highest and best use? And we do a lot of sort of multi-res or uh, multi-family residential with, with apartments. So we're very cognitive of consumer trends and needs. And the, we have the same drivers in our sector with respect to the impact of immigration, to interest rates, to consumer confidence, and uh, we're, we're, how that impacts both the res and uh, the commercial aspect, and as well as market fu- fundamentals going forward. So the, the two are sort of similar, but you have various uh, different indicators in the way of price points and uh, data that you track. But um, the, 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 the factors that are influencing both really impact on both commercial and residential trends. I know that uh, William Wright, Corey's brokerage, subscribes to Altus across Canada. Is there any public-facing component to this where, where people can access information without a subscription if you're not in the industry and you're just interested in commercial real estate? Or is it primarily industry insiders or industry participants no, subscribing? I, I, absolutely. So with our uh, altusgroup.com uh, 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 website, you can ac- access market trend reports, especially on the commercial, as well as some aspect of um, what's happening with the housing market and uh, direction. So again, our use of the data and leveraging where we think as potential risk and opportunities with respect to market direction. So that's that's available on our website. But again, if you want to go deeper with the information, especially on the data component, that's the description, but our information is is uh, available on our website. I was just thinking now that after we're sharing that, uh, I could be out of a job if enough people subscribe to this, <laughs> to Altus. Raymond, one of the biggest reasons why we wanted to have you on today is you guys are obviously on the forefront of of what's happening, not only in BC, but across Canada in every major asset class. And one Mm -hmm. thing we wanted to sort of dive into is, is what are you guys seeing with respect to how is BC stacked up against maybe other major markets across Canada during COVID and maybe pre-COVID? And then what markets in BC have sort of accelerated and what asset classes have? And I know that's a loaded question there, so we'll unpack it. And that's a lot. Maybe that's a half hour's worth of conversation. Yeah, I was going to say. So maybe we'll start with with how has BC, what have you guys seen? Like how has BC been over the past, say, 18 months during the pandemic? And how is that compared to other provinces? You know what? It's, 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 It's interesting with, well, when you look at the, on a major market basis, we always compare Vancouver and Toronto. And Vancouver and Toronto is the most recognized markets on, on a global basis, especially dealing with investors. So when you're looking at investors, they're always comparing Vancouver and and Toronto assets. So usually from an investment standpoint, 
um, Vancouver, BC is always is, is number two to to um, Toronto in the way of uh, investment activity. So, from that perspective, there's there's direct parallel. So, Vancouver went through the same thing that every other market went through with 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 the pandemic. That especially the impact on the office market. And um, with um, increase in sublet space and the, the availability rates moved up both in Vancouver and Toronto. And you also had that sort of movement of people to the outlying areas of Vancouver. You have Iquonas and the outer suburbs of Vancouver as people were looking to move into more space, especially if they, if they were working from home. So the concern in, in, in BC and, and with the other markets, like, Victoria has also benefited from, from from that movement, but Victoria has the same bit of challenges as Vancouver from a um, housing affordability standpoint, and as well as as Toronto. So everyone's gone through that sort of similar shift of, uh, on the office front, and um, as well as over the last number of months, it's sort of a, a return to the urban area after your apartment vacancy sort of went up a little bit during COVID because people are starting to move out for looking at more space. So similar to um, Toronto, Vancouver also saw an increased flux of demand in um, apartments in the urban area, as well as with new homes on condominium activity, especially in the downtown. The level of activity in both Vancouver and Toronto have really increased, especially when compared to actually 2020 and as well as 2019. So the similarities from that perspective. but one of the positive uh, things that we've seen, and um, we sort of covered this on, on the pre-call, is what we, we like seeing on, on the office market. So both Toronto and Vancouver, and as well as a few other markets, we started to see a drop in sublet space. So as a percentage of the sublet space that is sublet, that was really driving the, the availability rates up, because people were basically trying to get rid of their space or didn't need their space anymore. Vancouver actually saw both a decrease in the sublet space and a decrease in the availability rate in the downtown, whereas Toronto saw a decrease in the sublet space, but they still, still saw a slight increase in the availability rate in, in, uh, in downtown. So in a way of a recovery performance, Vancouver is actually doing a little bit better than, than Toronto and some of the other markets across Canada, especially with Alberta. But you're seeing that Vancouver is starting to come back a little bit, uh, at least positive in the sign so far, and places like Halifax. So Halifax, they've also benefited from people relocating into um, sort of more space or bigger bang for the buck from a residential perspective. So we're starting to see some positive aspects. But if you look at overall growth in investment, Toronto and Vancouver have, have really increased the sales volume this year, especially compared to uh, a year ago. Now, you guys are obviously tracking these major transactions, and I think we'll maybe just maybe circle back quickly just to that office market there that a lot of people have question marks about. Has there yep. been a lot of large office buildings that you've seen come across and transacted both in Vancouver and Toronto? And if you have, have they sold at, I mean, record-setting prices or much higher than maybe what you guys would have expected based on the trends or the concerns in the market? Well, the challenge on the office market, the, the, the biggest things that's happening with with the investment market is um, ICI land and res land. That's always done well as the, the number one um, activity for, for investment. And traditionally, it was always the office, industrial, I mean, sort of apartments. But if you look at some of the challenges or some of that uncertainty in the office side, is reflective in the investment. So overall investment activity has dropped off and uh, the demand for industrial or the activity for industrial and apartments have increased um, at, a, at a faster pace. And same thing with retail as well. And that's because of some of the redevelopment in that area. But we haven't seen We've seen some of the rents, office rents drop and then incentives increase, yep. but we haven't really seen prices drop. Um, yep. And that, that's also a result of, 
uh, the current owners, they're, they're not really in trouble. They're still getting paid on the rent, especially on the sublet spaces. So they're not, there's not a big discount in the way of um, office prices, or at least we haven't seen that those big transactions yet. But we have seen transactions in both Toronto and Vancouver for office products, but it's just not as strong as compared to the other products. So we definitely haven't seen sort of a, a fire sale on the office side, and uh, in the way it's it probably seen a, a, a flattening of prices there. But again, that, that still remains to be seen. But when you look at some of the positive signs that we've seen, with, especially with Vancouver, with the office vacancy rates, it's starting to stabilize, and especially not just the downtown, but in the suburbs, and it's starting to come down a little bit. And that's the first time we've seen that since sort of pre-pandemic. So it, it remains, the, the jury's still out on the office market. It's going to take some time and see if people are actually going to re-enter uh, their, their buildings, because one of the challenges right now is Public transit. Are people? Do people feel safe getting on on um, public transit and uh, getting into work? And for me, when I take public transit, I, I live in Toronto, work in Toronto. Um, that when I take public transit, there's basically nobody on the train. Mm. But but when I drive, it's taking me uh, back to pre-pandemic levels because I li- I live north of the city, and it's taking me anywhere from an hour to hour and a half to drive home because everyone's driving. Nobody's taking public transit, and the parking lots are fuller than during the, the pandemic. So people are starting to come back to the office, but they're driving or taking their own uh, some sort of own pre- transportation. And I think that's why people are s- sort of moving back into downtown. So at least they can walk to work and not have to focus on public transit. But that's going to take time for the office market to sort of um, pull its way through. And uh, and again. There's a lot of discussions right now with the hybrid model and whether or not you need office space, especially if people are only in for two, three days a week. So right now, a lot of companies are trying to reassess what their office needs are and whether some are expanding because of certain uh, safety protocols with um, with COVID, but some are also sh- uh, shrinking and, and are closing up their office altogether because they're they're basically um, telling their employee to to work from home and instead having a sort of a smaller office footprint and having sort of a, a hub and spoke concept um, rather than trying to bring everyone back into the office pre COVID sort of um, time period. Your uh, Toronto subway system there sounds like the Canuck bandwagon over here. There's just there's nobody <laughs> on it to start the season. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and and actually, speaking of not the Canucks but the subway system, <laughs> anecdotally, uh, a, a guest of uh, the Vancouver commercial or the Vancouver real estate podcast, the other show that we have, uh, Wendy Waters. I follow her on Twitter. She's she was in Toronto this week. Interestingly enough, she said on Monday she took the SkyTrain in Vancouver downtown at eight thirty a.m. and it was packed. And on Friday. She was in Toronto and she took the the subway and she said she was the only one on the train. So I don't know. Uh, she she was saying how stark the difference was. I wonder what oh. that's about. But um, it does sound like, and again, this is uh, from somebody else that Vancouver's public transit actually seems to be getting back to normal. Although I don't think Corey's been. Have you ever been on the SkyTrain, Corey? I know you showed up in a limousine. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That that was the public limousine, also known as the bus. <laughs> well, by the way, um, Wendy and I were on a on a panel on on Wednesday, and uh, and I, I, I'm on the same page. I'm a huge fan of of, of the, the the research that she produces. Oh, right, and on. that could be a reason why that um, that you're seeing the, the office market uh, maybe come back a little bit quicker compared to Toronto. Because when you look at some of the global markets, like Asia's come back a little bit faster than on, on a global basis. And I think there's this one report, I think it was through Bloomberg, but they were about 13% below capacity pre-COVID. And the public transit was at 73% capacity. So I think the two are related. It's getting people back into the downtown and the numbers with uh, a decrease in, because uh, Vancouver's had really good activity this year, especially on the tech sector. 
and what Amazon is, is, is taking up 100% of the space that is under, under construction, even though the instructions are that people are so working from home, but they, they need that, that, that footprint for, for future growth. And I think public transit is, is a big function of getting people back into the office if they're feeling safe. But the other component that you're also running is, is that as people are, that live in the suburbs, do they really want to go back to the hour and a half commute back to the office? And the, the other argument is that you need that collaboration, you need that interaction. And you know, I, I, I'm going back to the office about two or three days a week. It's starting to people coming back. There's a few people. And you, you need that type of synergy. That's why I'm a big believer of uh, being in the office and as well as the downtown office, especially with Toronto, because the transportation hub, it, it, it meets in at Union Station. And to a certain extent, I think with same thing with, with Vancouver, all the connecting points for public transit leads into the downtown as a, as a centralized location. So I think that part is needed. And I also think that what's going to happen in the office front is going to evolve. And a lot of companies... Um, even the, the company that uh, Wendy um, works for, GWL, everyone's trying to focus on what type of amenities are needed to bring people back in. And you need to bring people back in for a reason, not just to work in their office nine to five, but what type of synergies, breakout sessions, strategy sessions. But you need to bring people back in for, for a purpose. And from an amenity standpoint, we've spent the last 20 months ordering on our, our, our laptops uh, for lunches, dinners, and everything. And I, I think people kind of want that, even going back to the office. They want to be have that, that level of convenience rather than go out and get something and whether or not the building provides those type of amenities or even wellness concepts. I think those are the type of things that companies are evolving and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we bring people back in? And as well as companies are trying to figure out what are the reasons? And partly is, is that collaboration and that mentorship of the employees and staff, and that's how companies grow. It's different ideas and the idea to have that accidental meeting in the, in the hallway and the elevator to spur new ideas. So I'm, I'm, as you can tell, I'm a big fan of office, um, and especially downtown office. Well, I echo exactly what you say. I think companies are going to struggle not having some form of office or some form of interaction with their employees because you're not going to be able to retain them. It's going to be hard to create a company culture and probably even expand and grow those companies if you don't have people in the office space because a lot of those collaborative ideas won't exist um, if people are all working from home. Uh, shifting yep. over to sort of BC, what what areas in BC have you guys maybe seen an uptick in maybe maybe growth from a purchasing side, maybe like Surrey and market that you're seeing a lot of increase, just say all asset classes across the board versus maybe Vancouver's activity has diminished a little bit. Have you seen, have you, where have you guys seen maybe increased volume of transactions throughout the province and maybe where is it pulled back a little bit? Well, it's sort of based on location, but based on, um, product availability, because as you know, the, the, one of the hottest commercial sectors has always been on the industrial front. So it's it's anything deal with logistics and and um, the availability of, of land. So without getting to your Burnaby and, and Surrey in the way of activity and from a cost perspective. So I don't have those numbers in front of me, the actual uh, difference in uh, volume, but I can tell you that overall investment volume compared to a year ago, Vancouver was at 4.3 billion. Now it's it's at it's over um, seven billion dollars in the way of investment transactions. So as a Vancouver CMA, there's increased investment activity, and anything that deals with Properties with upward potential in value, such as excess land or a redevelopment play into from a retail to to a mixed use uh, involving increased cash flow or returns on a property, kind of works. And, and especially with with uh, apartments as well, because you've always in Vancouver, have always had uh, the lowest cap rates for multifamily. 
And it's, you know, it's, it's unthinkable with, you know, less than two and a half or 2% cap rate. But again, that anticipated return for that asset as well as escalations sort of makes that work. So we're definitely seeing an increase in, um, in investment activity, not just in Vancouver property, but in your Surrey's, your, your Richmond and the outlying areas, especially as, as investors are looking for higher returns because it's, it's hard to get those type of, of assets paying, you know, uh, you know, 300 or 500 basis points higher unless you go out and, uh, with a little bit more risk out into the outlying areas. But, Victoria is another market that has done really well and has, and has attracted not just um, further office uh, demand, but industrial and retail and uh, for overall investment activity, and as well as Kelowna and the outlying areas, especially the work from home, as, as people are looking for sort of more affordable housing and more bang for the buck. And that that that, that comparison is sort of similar with other markets across Canada. I apologize. I, can, I, I just don't have the numbers in front of me to go a little bit more specific. You know, one number that I just wanted to uh, kind of clarify, Raymond. So if I understand, you're saying from 2020 to 2021 in terms of just transaction volume, we're up almost like pretty close to 100%, it sounds like. Yeah. So the, the interesting number right now is that Part of the 2021 activity was based on the delayed or postponed transactions that were planned in 2020, led into 2021. Now, it'll be interesting to watch the year-end numbers, because you were absolutely right that it's almost doubled compared to the volume last year. It'd be interesting whether or not actually 2021 actually exceeds the biggest uh, investment uh, number that we've had in Canada back in 2019. I think everything right now is pointing that we're going to exceed 2019. So we're going to blow um, 2020 away uh, in the way of uh, investment uh, sales activity. It'll be interesting whether or not it actually beats a record for overall investment activity in the Vancouver marketplace. And this is without office because 2019 and 2018 were driven by the sale of um, office portfolios like the the Bentall portfolio purchased by Hudson Pacific. Right. And be interesting whether or not um, the increase in volume that we've seen on ICR land, as well as industrial and apartments, sort of blows those numbers out of the water by year end. In your mind, Raymond, what is is driving? I mean, so uh, you answered exactly what my uh, kind of larger question was, is how does, you know, 2020 was obviously COVID-depressed marketplace, yep. but it sounds like we're still, for 2021, potentially going to be at, at a at a record level. What do you think is is driving that market? Is it in part because of the kind of depressed conditions of 2020 or or what is driving demand and, and kind of this frenzied pace of 2021 in your mind? There's a lot of capital out there looking for a place to um, uh, be um, placed. And when you look at real estate, so, th- so that goes with, with the overall confidence of investors. And what we said earlier with respect to it's not just the domestic players, but foreign players looking at BC and Vancouver and Toronto and Ontario because they recognize those, those type of assets. So there is a big demand for real estate and the relative stability, not just for Vancouver, but in, in Canada. And again, this year we've actually progressed. And the other thing that we're seeing is that the overall lease activity for the office side is more in 2021 versus 2020. So we're seeing that aspect of it as well. But it's the overall is the immigration that is going to hit Canada over the next two or three years playing catch-up and the overall confidence by investors for the Canadian and the, the, the Vancouver market. So I don't think this is going to slow down. It, it may come down a little bit in 2022, and that will be basically the shortage of product. And as well as uh, whether or not 2021 was sort of a double count year from 2020. Right. But I think right now there's the overall confidence from investors, not just on a domestic level, but on a global basis for, for Canada and the relatively stability of uh, returns for these type of assets. You know, it sounds like I, we know you're in, in Toronto, Raymond, and making the comparison between Toronto and Vancouver. I'm just wondering, you know, we've seen 
over the course of the last 18, 20 months, and you've mentioned it, this flow of people to, to the suburbs or, or smaller communities looking for space. What is your take on cities, large cities uh, moving forward in terms of, of potential? Has, has COVID changed your perspective on, on the role of, of large cities in Canada in terms of potential upswing? I'm an urban planner by background, so I love um, cities. I love uh, the, the the discussion of how they evolve and change, and that's exactly what they're still going through. But yeah, it's 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 interesting with the return of the condo markets, which are on the new homes basis, and the project launches in Vancouver. So you have that confidence base, and I think we're going to see assets evolve. And we've been talking forever about retail. And how that's going to evolve, and we're seeing a lot more desification, especially with rentals and residential condos, with redevelopment of some of the malls. So we're seeing that evolution and the whole experience part of retail. We're going to see, probably see the same thing on the office front. There's going to be other tenants besides the traditional tenants that I have in there. Maybe focus on wellness. Maybe focus on amenities and the whole aspect of co-working space offering uh, companies a lot more flexibility to expand quickly or to shrink quickly and still accommodate their their office needs. So I think that we're going to see a continued evolution because some of the aspects that we had pre-COVID for the downtowns, like close to restaurants, close to shopping, you can walk to work, they're still there, right? And and, and that hasn't changed. And I think the, the the younger workers, the millennials, they still want that, that aspect of it. Again, with the demographic shift, we're going to see that anyway, with people moving out to the suburbs or to outlying communities for more space with growing families. So I think we're going to see a continued evolution of the urban area of the downtown. But I don't think the downtown is going to go away in the way of, of people vacating the downtown and not living there or not using it. But it's going to evolve as people's needs change and companies. And one of the big factors that everyone's facing, and even us as a company, is is the ability to to attract uh, skilled workers. So there's there's a shortage. Even though we're, the unemployment level is still a little bit higher than pre-COVID, there's still a challenge in in getting people to apply for positions. And I think by having amenities and that office experience and the company culture will bring people back in. So I'm still a strong believer in that. I think we're going to evolve with this COVID and especially with the space layout and allowing for social distancing. But uh, again, I'm, I'm a, strong, a strong believer of both office and the urban areas and uh, downtown. Now, when you guys are watching and following the transaction trends, are you maybe seeing, you mean, maybe some larger scale buyers that now have shifted some of their, their acquisition strategy where you're seeing their name pop up maybe in the Fraser Valley, Vancouver Island, or BC's interior, maybe traditionally that you haven't seen, and they've been maybe primarily more of like an energy hub type company that acquires? Yeah, absolutely. Because the investors are always looking at, and institutions as well. So it's not just by geography, but it's also by product type. So, you know, there's increased uh, interest in public storage facilities. So, and the whole thing about life sciences. I think um, investors will look at different um, sort of products and geographies that uh, allow them to, one, perhaps diversify or allow for potential growth or redevelopment down the road. So I, I, I don't think um, it's any big surprise that we're seeing other sort of perhaps bigger institutional investors are looking at outlying areas as potential sort of short-term investment for long-term gains. So I think we're going to see more of that going forward, especially with with the, the number of assets that are available. And again, based on a pricing standpoint, and depending on their investment return objectives, that they have to look at alternative products and as well as geographical locations to maintain a certain uh, return on, on their assets or their investments. We talked a little bit about, you know, the, the just an excess of capital uh, <laughs> looking to, to be placed in, in the market. Raymond, this is kind of a, uh, I don't know if, if you kind of in the, data and research world, if you kind of think in these terms, but if you were looking, you know, with all the information you have and, 
a very competitive marketplace. If you were looking to buy one asset class in one location right now as an investment yourself, where would you be looking and, and what would you be looking at? Before you answer that, let me grab my pen and paper. <laughs> yeah, asking for a friend. His name's Corey. <laughs> Here's the problem with that question. And I have certain biases. I started my career in industrial research for a, a commercial brokerage company. And I absolutely love industrial. I, I, I Up and um, down, industrial rents always go up and down, maybe about 10 20%. And you know you don't have that same exposure with other asset classes, and with industrial, um, based on its availability rate, always has those type of returns. And I also look at industrial as as, as future development plays. But right now, they could be providing a three to five percent return on cap rate, but down the road, based on redevelopment and based on the evolution of of urban areas and for uses. Industrial will increase, or that parcel will increase in value one way or another. Saying that, I like anything that has anything with with ex- excess land or potential redevelopment. And retail has been on the radar for a lot of investors, just because of its location, right? And the upside of redevelopment and having a higher um, or, or or best use value. But from an asset class, I really like industrial from a stability and potential return aspect of it. And um, I also like anything with a little bit of hair on it that can provide increased uh, returns down the road. So I believe, I guess, in the medium to long-term hold, not the overnight flip. Mm. Maybe just thinking, it sounds like you're, you've are you kind of touched on this a little bit in terms of, of what the market looks like, kind of six months, 12 months, you know, and then three, five years from now, but, but can we, can we have a best case forecast here for, for maybe British Columbia and, and Canadian commercial real estate? Okay. As long as I'm not applying any dates to my forecast, I'm okay. With <laughs> okay. Right? So the, 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 if you break, well, we just talked about Nostra. Nostra is going to do well for the next five years and beyond, right? Just because of e-commerce. Right, and I think retail will, f- will find its footing in, in the way of repositioning, but I think we're going to see a continuing evolution in that area. We don't have the same things with with um, our, our malls turning into giant fulfillment centers like we're seeing in the U.S. But I think there will be some changes in the area, and I hate to say on the office side, it's, it's so, it's so I think it's it's going to improve, but it's going to improve very slowly because both Vancouver, you're looking at about six million square feet. Under construction, mostly in the downtown. In Toronto, you're looking at about uh, close to about nine million square feet under construction. Yeah, that's got a little bit more pressure on the older stock buildings, especially that that don't have the similar amenities as as some of the newer buildings. But uh, so I think that, that the verdict's still out there, and we're still tr- companies are still trying to figure out how much space they need and how that's going to change. So I, I want to put a hold on that office side. That was, I don't think it's going to tank. But I think the downtown will come back, but it'd be interesting the speed of people returning. Apartments, I think you, you can't go wrong with that, um, and it will continue to do well, and it's going to do even better with immigration coming back, and plus the foreign students are very good return. That's going to have more demand in that area. And again, it's, I, I, we still have that, that problem in Canada with shortage of housing. So I think from a market fundamental standpoint, we're going to do okay. In industrial, we're going to do better compared to perhaps on the, uh, on the office side. Um, but I think we're going to still going to go through a, a transition. But I think the way the Canadian assets are, especially Vancouver and the international exposure, that they will always attract attention and there will always be a demand for that type of product. So I don't think that we're going to see any major corrections uh, over the next um, two to three years. And uh, I think it's going to be a, a gradual recovery, but it, it'd be interesting to, to see the speed of it in the next 12 to 18 months because you have you know inflationary concerns, you have the potential increase in uh, interest rates, so the, and as well as perhaps a global slowdown. And you still have the supply uh, chain logistic issues that you're seeing that are starting to hit us. So there's a bunch of other factors 
But I, I think overall, I think we're good. I don't want to say we're doing fantastic. I think we're doing okay. And we sort of have to wait and see to see how other things sort of pan out over the next um, nine to 12 months. You know, as a final question, and you kind of uh, touched on it, risk factors, biggest risks facing the commercial real estate market in Canada um, to, over the short to medium term. I mean, you just kind of touched on a few, but but what in your mind are the biggest risks? Uh, inflation, whether or not that's going to slow the uh, economy down. And again, the, the whole thing, the impact of the fourth wave whether or not that's going to result in type of, of lockdown and um, the U.S. economy, whether or not they're going to continue at, at, at its pace. And again, if you look at this year, we have had a number of sort of surprises, especially in lumber prices, right? It's, it, there's no way anybody could predict it, the increase in lumber prices, how fast it shot up and how fast it's come back down, right? So there's a few wild cards out there just because, of um, how we're more of a global economy and we're depending on uh, resources and as well as assembly in other parts of the world that may slow some of the construction here. So there could be a few things with interest rates and inflation, but it could be a combination of different factors that may impact it. As as you can tell, I'm I'm just paranoid by nature, but there's a number of different factors out there that that, that may tip the economy for us, right? So... I'm sort of optimistic going forward, but at the same time, I have a little bit of, I'm a little bit cautious with some of the, the, what's our phrase? The, what you, the knowns and the unknown knowns or something to that effect. But, uh, there's still that, that aspect that, uh, that's caused me to, um, lose sleep at night. Raymond, to wrap up here, we have uh, a six pack we call the, uh, the six pack powered by Redpoint Law at six. Light-hearted questions, so we get to know you kind of a little bit outside of the office. Do you have a few more minutes to hang out with us? Wait, wait a minute! You didn't tell me about these. <laughs> yeah, see, the problem is if I did, okay. then you would prep. So, <laughs> uh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting for this. Okay, so our the the six pack is powered by our good friends over at Red Point Law for all your commercial legal needs. Visit them at redpointlaw.ca. All right, Raymond. First question up: favorite movie. The Hunt for Red October. I've seen that movie fifty times. That's a good movie. And and uh, it's, uh, and, and I can watch it another fifty times. It's, it's just a, it's something that uh, that uh, I really enjoy. The, the Sean Connery. I think that's his, his best performance. And uh, yeah, it's my favorite movie. Good movie. Right on. Uh, one book you would recommend to anyone listening. Um. It's you know I go back to the the whole thing of um, uh, good to great books uh, or uh, good Collins. to greater is 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 a focus on uh, focusing on your your core strengths so, um, you know sort of moving away from that um, or major successful is going to keep you successful. This is the question that we just peel back the layers and find out who you really are. Favorite band or musician? Favorite band or musician? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of something not to embarrass me, and as well as my, my kids just just uh, uh, make fun of me. But I I, I still like um, like Simon Garfunkel. I, I like that that mellow music, especially when I'm I'm working and something that uh, is uh, a little bit on the soothing side. When I got here to the office, Matt had uh, Britney Spears blaring on his computer, and he realized I was <laughs> oh, in, I was... so he turned it down really quickly. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Uh... <laughs> yeah. It really helps on the research side. Yeah, yeah. I always feel bad for Garfunkel. Uh, <laughs> I know. I think got the raw deal. <laughs> yeah. uh, favorite vacation spot, Raymond? Oh, you know what? It's um, food basis. I love Venice. Uh, I, I, I could spend a week there in just restaurants. And um, the, the favorite vacation is probably our, our last... Um, Hawaii vacation now on, on on the big island that's big uh, that's really rustic still, and the weather is just perfect and the golf is just perfect. Well, you don't like landing in Maui and the first thing you see is Walmart and Costco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I just like it's, it was just because we we actually went to Honolulu first, 
in the Gulf of Honolulu into the Big Island, it was just like, this is it. This is perfect. Quote or inspirational quote that you choose to live by? Um, you know what? Be recognized for something and be the best at that. And uh, as well, uh, we'll do a couple of quotes. Um, always look at, at um, the fun part of whatever you do. If you're not having fun, I don't think you're living. And um, I think having a sense of humor and having fun uh, helps you grow as a person. And you're not, you're just not bitter all the time, right? Sorry, that's not probably an exact quote, but that's how it's. No, 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 but words to live by. I like it. I like it. Last question for you, Raymond, and we really appreciate your time. One piece of advice after a, a, a long career studying commercial real estate one piece of advice for anyone listening uh, in regards to commercial real estate in Canada? You know what? It's relationships. And I started 33 years ago in this business. And a lot of those people that I started with, I'm still very friend, uh, good friends with. And it's the relationship and the networking ability of the people that, that surround you, make you a better person and better informed. Um, but, um, I think those are the relationships that you care for the rest of your life, not just in, uh, in a, in a job. So it's really important to be able to make friends and to establish strong relationships in the business. And I think that goes with, with other sectors, not just real estate and real estate, as you, as you know, is a very close knit community. So, um, I, I really appreciate the, those friendships that I built over the years. Great advice, Raymond. And, and how can our listeners find out more about yourself and everything that the Altus Group is doing? Well, on LinkedIn, as well as I gave you the, our, our website at, uh, at the beginning of uh, what our company does and the publication and, and the services. So um, uh, it, I, I think th- those are the first two things you started. Plus, you know what? Call me up or send me an email, and I'm, I'm quite happy to, to talk to you, um, especially exchange ideas. Like, I really enjoyed... The discussion that we had today, in, anytime you can exchange ideas or exchange, uh, especially opinions, it, it works. So uh, feel free to reach out to me anytime. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Raymond. We really appreciate it and all the insight, not only for BC, but also how we're stacking up across Canada. Great. I had a lot of fun. Thank you very much for inviting me. Thanks, Raymond. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Take Bye. care. And there you have it, folks. Our interview with Raymond Wong. I, I, I mean, you know what I'm going to say before I even say it. So I'll let you go ahead and say it. Hello, darkness, my old friend. No, I was going to say amazing. Oh, no, phenomenal. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Adam stole that word, so I'm gifting you the word amazing now. Oh, so, thank you. Thank amazing, you. amazing. Just episode. don't gift me awesome. <laughs> amazing, uh, amazing episode. Absolutely no. It was uh, a fantastic conversation with Raymond. It's funny that he seemed very bullish yeah. on commercial real estate generally and yet said as you can probably tell i'm i'm very paranoid paranoid well i think if you're going to be that you're going to be a research guy or an analytics guy you mean you've got to always take everything with a grain of salt and look at the underside of it right Right. because i mean they're tracking trends and data and they've seen good markets and bad markets so i think sometimes people almost look into commercial real estate or real estate in general in the province of bc like if i buy it's going to go up and it's a marketplace and a market means it goes up and a market means it goes down so I think there's they're foreshadowing potential stuff like the fourth wave that he mentioned that may or may not come into it, but they have to consider that when sort of putting out data information of what may or may not happen. Right, right. He's pretty confident on industrial though. Yeah. How can you not be? <laughs> I feel like if there's, there's, we've been doing our podcast on the residential, I mean, real estate generally, but the residential side of the market for five, six years. I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about anything with the confidence that industrial is spoken about with by guest after guest on this show. Well, I'll tell you right now, you could go buy a tent, put it on a piece of land and put industrial property for lease and you'll get multiple offers on. That's just, and that's just what's happening. And I think industrial has been a great moving asset for probably the better part of maybe six years, five or six years. The pandemic has just put that much more onus on that asset class. And as there's a housing crunch, it's very easy to take old industrial land that might be thirty to 50,000 square feet and has a 3,000 square foot building on it and plunk 300 condos. Right. So you've got shrinking supply, increased demand, 
pandemics put even that much more demand on it. It's just it's it's it's, it's a perfect storm for any landlord or seller in that asset class for now and probably for the foreseeable future. Right. I think he was saying at least the next five years, he thought so. Yeah. Uh, no, great conversation with Raymond and Altus Group is a fantastic resource. That's obviously the case. What else do we have before we go, Corey? Well, we have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things residential and commercial real estate live. We have the transcripts of these conversations over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also have the Live Wire, which is our weekly newsletter where you're going to see VIP access to projects yep. such as industrial uh, exactly. space in Victoria. There are still units available. So head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and sign up for the Live Wire where you'll see that deal and many other deals along with stats episodes and so much more. And we also have williamwright.ca, of course. Yep. People can visit us at williamwright.ca for all the latest William Wright commercial news. They can drop me an email at Corey at williamwright.ca or they can call our Vancouver office at 604-428-5255. Whether you're looking to buy, sell, lease commercial space, we'll put you in touch with the best advisor and the best marketplace that you're in. But before we go, we got to leave on a cliffhanger here. Oh, okay. We got to leave on a cliffhanger. I caught your guys' episode this morning. As I was driving here. Right. You know, you guys are on this great health kick. A lot of our listeners don't see it, but I come in here and like Adam's literally eating kale like a bunny in the he, corner there. He's got it his, is true. He's yeah. his lunches have have changed dramatically. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> I don't know if there's even lunch in there anymore. The guy's lost so much weight. Not that he had to, but yeah. and uh he's looking good. And and Peloton is a big thing. Yeah. Everyone's talking about Pelotons. And you guys had mentioned, or earlier, Adam had mentioned, you know, sort of who his favorite Peloton right. instructor is. Right. And I feel like you're setting me up for failure by asking me mine. So I will tell you. You you have next, told me. <laughs> I will tell you next week. Okay. And, and I, have, I have seen the video. <laughs> of me Pelotoning? That's not good. That is that is not good. Tune in next week to find out who Corey's favorite instructor is on Peloton. Is that what this? Is that what we're coming oh to now? Oh my god! Oh my god! Is that what we're coming yeah, to? We're having is... to like lure people back next week by who does Corey bike bike and watch at the same time? So hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving and back to the grind. But we'll be back next week, of course. Back on that Peloton, right? Take care. Thanks, guys, for listening. Subscribe today.